1: I'm Richard Walensky, and we're talking about books, about theater, about film, about television, and from time to time, even about KPFA Pacifica Radio. My guest is Sherilyn Parsons, who is the founder and executive director of the Bay Area Book Festival, which occurs this year, May 4th and 5th, which is a Saturday and Sunday, Are there any San Francisco venues? No,
0: no. It's entirely contained within downtown Berkeley. All venues are within a five-minute walk of each other.
1: And there are how many events total that people can't go to because they overlap?
0: I know. I know. 102 Literary Conversations this year. Plus, we have three outdoor stages for kids and a new stage in the BART Plaza, and all of those also are programmed. So overall, there's maybe a good 150 programs you can see.
1: Sherilyn Parsons, before we go into some of the specifics, I talked to you last year about your own career and how you wound Mm -hmm. up with this particular job position, which I guess is now mostly full-time. Oh, it's totally full-time, year-round, yeah. You had said you went to other book festivals, including some overseas. What have you gone to in the past year?
0: I went to the Jaipur Literature Festival in India, which is kind of the the mother, like Mother India, right? It's a mother of book festivals. They get something like a half a million people over five days. There's authors throughout India who appear as well as international authors. So they've been an inspiration in that they have very adventurous programming. They put people together you wouldn't think to come together, and they don't skirt social issues. They really go for it. I mean, this year it was a, one of their major themes was about stifling debate. Debate is being stifled just by political polarization all over. And so they they plunged right in with various sessions, as we are this year. There is, a, I don't know if I go into this, there is a self-censorship phenomenon happening in publishing. It's called cancel culture. And this is, it's mostly in the young adult realm, publishing realm. It's interesting. There's a very valid concern that particularly young adult readers, read representations of writers particularly writers of color writers of sort of you know minority cultures lgbt writers or lgbt characters that they be accurately represented and where they're not there is a very strong twitter Culture that talks about this and cancels books. We had one writer, um, a guy named uh, Kokoko Jackson, who is a young adult writer, and his book was canceled in advance of its publication by Twitter commentators. And, you know, they had some points, but they, they pulled the book, and so we had to pull them from the festival.
1: So they managed to get a book canceled because they didn't like the content?
0: Yeah, they felt like there were misrepresentations of certain cultures, certain peoples, and for that reason the book shouldn't go out there. It's controversial, you know. I mean, I can I can see both sides.
1: On the one hand, if you don't want a book mm-hmm. and you don't like a book, you don't buy the book. You don't right. buy the right. book. Yeah. You don't promote yeah. the book. Yeah. You kind of just let the book die. Right. You don't try to block its publication.
0: But if a book is in a library and a kid goes to read it and they come to understand the world according to how the characters and stories are presented, they take that as a norm. So especially for young adults, it's been seen as important that we get it right. Now, there is certainly arguments about whether it's gone too far. It's a huge thing right now in literature.
1: And, of course, the the scary part is that the right wing could easily do the same thing and make it worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: If I recall correctly, one of the panels talks about this.
0: There's one session called Courage in Publishing in a Time of Political Polarization, long title, and I'm actually moderating that one. And it includes some leaders in publishing. The new editor of the Paris Review is on that session, um, a guy named John Freeman, who runs Freeman's Journal is on that, um, a guy named uh, Kwame Anthony Appiah, who is the New York Times ethicist columnist. He wrote a book called The Lies That Bind, which looks at the debate over identity today, which touches on exactly what we're talking about. Um, He'll be on it. And there's a man named Michael Naumann from Germany who was involved in the publishing of the Satanic Verses way back when. So we're going to be talking about some of these issues. That's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. The other thing that it's really up against is uh, David Wallace-Wells, who's written this phenomenal book called The Uninhabitable Earth, which is the scariest book on climate change out there. And we have him interviewed by a young native activist and writer who's a policy analyst for 350.org, and he is 26 years old. I wanted a young person to interview David Wallace-Wells. So that's unfortunately against the other session. And then there's like four other sessions, five other sessions against that.
1: These sessions, will they all wind up later on online for people to...
0: We videotape about maybe 30, 40 percent of the festival, if we can manage to make that happen. And we audio, we captured the audio for all of them. And we have, in the past, turned about 60 percent of the festival into podcasts. And I hope to do even more of that.
1: Let's talk about how a festival comes together. Mm -hmm. Okay, last festival, late April, mid-April. Yeah,
0: last year was at the end of April. At the end
1: of April. Uh, You take a couple of weeks off because you're exhausted Uh and then you begin to rev up. So is the first step getting the, the money to rev up? Is the first step finding authors? What's the process?
0: yeah, so after a festival, there's just a ton of accounting and cleanup and follow up with the writers and so on. Um, then pretty early over the summer, we start looking at potential sponsors, making pitches. We also do reports for previous funder the funders for the previous festival. We have a lot of consulates that support us, and so they all need reports, foundations similarly. We give swag to our individual donors, you know, stuff like that over the summer, and then begin to prepare proposals. Again, it's all funding-related in the summer. But very early on, we start looking at authors to book. You know, there's a long lead time in the publishing industry. I mean, right now, for instance, I'm booking writers for the fall for our Women Lit series. So we have this new year-round series called Women Lit, which uh, features female writers And um, that goes year round. So right now, I'm actually a little late right now, in fact, in looking at fall. Then in the fall, I'll be booking for the spring festival.
1: So, when did you begin booking authors? And when you book them, mm-hmm. it's just to get them here. It's not necessarily what they're going to do, right? Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. We first just get them. Sometimes the publisher, or publicist will ask, How will you present this particular author? And they want to know, Will this be in an interview, which of course is ideal, or will it be a panel? You know, what are you going to do? Sometimes they'll want to know who we have. Interviewing this person, which will help them assess whether it's worth the writer's time, you know, to come out and whether it's worth the publisher's dime to send them. Because sometimes, if we get the writer on tour, the publisher pays them. If not, I have to come up with the money to bring them here.
1: And I noticed this year that most of the panels are relatively small. I don't recall any panel more than. There may be one or two with four people and then moderator, but most of them are two or three.
0: Yeah, Nordic Noir is big. That's always a popular one. I think there's six writers, you know, in that one. We want to create enough opportunity for each writer to speak. You know, if the panel gets too big, it gets frustrating for everyone, the audience as well as the writers, because they don't have enough space. We do have a lot more interviews this year than we've had in the past.
1: I noticed that you frequently have a moderator interviewing two people, and that's yeah. one way yeah. to to deal with it. Right. And then where do the topics come from? Do you sit around with folks and go, what do we want to talk about?
0: Yeah. It kind of goes both directions, so in the sense that There are certain writers that we know we want, and we find them by tracking what publishers are going to be putting out, you know, in the couple months before the festival and around the time of the festival. So we look at that. Then we just know the literary landscape, and there are certain writers that we just want to have. So we reach out and find out who's the publicist and try to get in touch with them, Then we design sessions and topics around those writers. So we look at the best way to position their work, and also vis-a-vis general festival, you know, kind of themes, how it resonates with other sessions we're doing. So we do it in one respect by who the writer is, we design the session. Then there's other sessions that we just want to cover the topic. So there's a lot this year on um, incarceration, actually. So we have three sessions on that. So we began to look at the books that were coming out around that topic and then seeking those writers.
1: How many publishers do you contact?
0: Well, it's a combination of them contacting us and us contacting them, but um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. It's probably we probably have 20 or so 30 different publishers who are represented in the festival and we go for small publishers as well as the big ones.
1: Well, I noticed that she writes press has yeah, its yeah. own panel. Yeah.
0: She writes is based locally at least the publisher is local, Brooke Warner, she's on our board, and so we discover those writers, you know, pretty readily. but they have really fabulous writers. And you know, one of the things that we make a priority of is presenting female voices at the festival, and she writes, publishes women writers. So it's a natural for us to look at. How many venues do you have? You know, I'm trying to think exactly. I think we have 12. And they're all within walking distance. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Downtown Berkeley has so many venues in a walkable radius. They're in theaters like the Freight and Salvage and the Brower Center. Uh, Where else? The Magnus Museum has a big auditorium. The Marsh Theater we use.
1: Some of the people are local for now, like Joyce Carol Oates yeah, is there. And yeah. She's local. Adam Hochschild is local. Uh-huh. But a lot of them are not. And you're responsible in most cases for putting these authors up? It's a combination
0: of the publisher sending them if they're on tour. So not all writers get put on a publisher-funded tour. You know, the tours are shorter or limited to the radius right around where an author lives. Uh,
1: trust me, I As know you that know, one. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So we try to get on authors' tours FSG, Ferris, Ross, Sharu. We have a couple of writers that they've sent on tour a historical novelist named Christopher Tillman and a writer on immigration, Aaron Bobrow Strain. I don't know exactly where they live, but they're coming to us on tour. But then there's other writers like this Kwame Anthony Appiah that I mentioned, whom I'm paying. Another writer named Nell Painter, she lives in New Jersey. She wrote a book called Old for Art School, which is fabulous, and she's someone I'm paying
1: to bring. How many of these authors had you heard of before you began the search?
0: It's oh, a great question. Probably a half or two-thirds, you know. I mean, I keep up on the literary landscape.
1: One of the issues is that there are always new novelists coming in. Yeah. And older ones who should be writing can't get contracts because the publishers are going, your books don't sell.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. yeah, yeah. We do make a point of publishing writers who you know are so-called mid-list writers. You know, not the major bestsellers. You know, we have a lot of uh, programming intelligence that shapes what we're doing. I mean, I have a fabulous program manager named Claire Calderon, and she's very in touch with the whole scene around authors of color. And so she brought forth a lot of names that aren't as widely known. And it was fabulous. I mean, we brought in a lot of writers of color this year, which matters to us. We also have a program committee. I mentioned Brooke Warner. There's uh, Stephen Sparks from Point Reyes Books who really stays on top of things. The Center for the Art of Translation also recommends books on the international front. So it's not just
1: me by a long shot. How did you manage to get the Kellerman family up here? <laughs>
0: that's a that's a great story. So I knew that Jesse Kellerman lived in Berkeley, so I found a way to get to him directly. And I had in the back of my mind, wow, wouldn't it be cool if his parents could come and we could do this whole family of Kellerman crime writers. And they do write books together. So I thought, well, that would be fun. But it was a little bit of a pipe dream. The parents live in L.A., And I asked Jesse if he would take part, and I said, well, what would you think of this idea? And he says, well, let me run it by my parents. And lo and behold, they they agreed to do it. They're Orthodox Jews, so we had to have the session on Sunday, and the parents wanted it to be in the morning, so they had afternoon time to spend with their grandkids and to make it back to L.A. that day.
1: Kim Stanley Robinson's coming up for this?
0: Yeah, he will be on a session honoring Ursula Le Guin. There's a new film on her, and uh, he's he knows her well, and so he's going to be part of it. That that session, he actually helped me put it together.
1: Now I've noticed some of these are a little off the beaten path, which makes them very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one on the Paris Review. Yes. What's the story behind that panel? Yeah,
0: yeah. So UC Berkeley's art and design department, which looks at all different kinds of arts programming throughout the UC Berkeley universe, they did a session, a, uh, a lecture at BAMPFA that featured Emily Nemmons, who is the new female editor of the Paris Review, first female editor in its history. And I went to see it, and they were nice enough to include me in the dinner afterwards. And I hit it off with Emily, and I said, well, would you like to come to the festival? and present something on the Paris Review and she says well yeah not only that but we are publishing this spring or in March the interview with Lawrence Ferlinghetti to celebrate his 100th and the poet Garrett Caples who is a Bay Area based poet interviewed Lawrence for it and we decided to do two sessions on the Paris Review one which was a celebration of the Paris Review itself which featured Uh, Several writers who were coming to the festival who'd been in the Paris Review recently, Mm -hmm. and Emily. And that will be moderated by the West Coast editor of the Paris Review, who's another novelist named Christian Kiefer. So there's that session. And then we're doing a tribute to Ferlinghetti. Yet another tribute. There have been lots of tributes throughout the Bay Area. But this will be the last one, I think.
1: One other 10 a.m. Saturday event mm-hmm. that caught my eye was an interview with a guy named Roger McNamee, whose book is about the horrors of Facebook.
0: yes. It's good. It's really interesting. You know, unfortunately, the Facebook story continues to unfold, and you know, McNamee talks about how it's not just Facebook, but there's this sort of uh, libertarian, anti-democratic structure built into a lot of the tech firms who were created really in the the last twenty years and the last ten years, and uh, Facebook's one of them. We are having him interviewed by a woman named Elizabeth Dwoskin, who is a Silicon Valley reporter for The Washington Post.
1: In looking back at last year, what was the most crowded venue and what was the least?
0: Most crowded was Gary Snyder. Kim Stanley Robinson was actually part of that one as well. Jack Shoemaker was part of it. Literally standing room only. The Freight and Salvage, which is where it was, allows people to stand. So, so there were a lot of people also filling the aisles. And I'm trying to think of the least crowded. I kind of block that out.
1: Let's rephrase that. Yeah. At the smaller venues, the smallest,
0: uh-huh. how many people show up? 30 to 50. I mean, we never have fewer than that. People do come.
1: I notice that there's a few on fantasy and science fiction with names I don't really know. They Uh must be newer writers.
0: So we have one called The People's Future of the United States, which looks at speculative visions of what the U.S. could
1: become. There's a panel on historical fiction, too. Yes. That's on uh, Sunday, I think. Yes. And what's that one about?
0: So we always have a session on historical fiction because it's so popular and um there's just three fabulous novels on on that one. Um one of them is by a woman named Terry Gamble Boyer and it's hilariously funny. It's set in the time when there's transition with slavery in the South and it's right on the border. I think it's in Ohio and it's about the the tug that happens then.
1: Kathy Gieswhite yeah. of the Kathy cartoon. She'll yes. be there on Sunday.
0: I believe so, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. that okay. yeah. huh. Yeah. Okay,
1: how did she come into this?
0: Uh, she. We knew there was a book coming out. We look again at the publisher's catalog, see what's there, and I thought, wow, definitely want her to come. And so we pitched for it. And we were able to get her. We we do have this Women Lit program I mentioned featuring female writers, and she's one of the writers within that scope of programs.
1: And Tayari Jones. Yes. Uh, and Essie... They're both great.
0: Yeah, they're fabulous. And we put them together for a conversation. This writer-to-writer series we're doing this year. In this this series, usually, you know, there's a moderator interviewing the writers, right? A couple of them or just interviewing a writer. But we thought, well, what would it be like if we brought together two writers who are big fans of each other's work? And the moderator was there really just to kick things off. But we're literally on stage putting not the moderator between the two writers, which we normally would do, but the moderator's going to be a little bit off to the side, and it will be a conversation. So essentially they'll be interviewing each other, which will be a fun format, and all of those will be podcast. And Moby? Moby, he's got a new memoir, and I think in this case they pitched us. The publicist somehow found us, and Moby will be interviewed by Peter Hartlob, who is the Chronicle uh, music critic, pop critic, I believe. And he is supposedly going to play a couple of acoustic songs at the end of his interview. And he's got a memoir, a new, second memoir.
1: And that's Late Afternoon Saturday. Yes. Uh, coming up against something that looks really interesting, virtual reality storytelling. Uh-huh. What is is that about? How to how to create virtual reality or really? Yeah,
0: yeah. I think it's about how stories are constructed and told in virtual reality, what the powers are of that medium, what the limitations are. There's a, a graduate of the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism who wrote a book about this, and that's how it came to our attention.
1: David Thompson has a new book out yes, I saw. So yes. he's doing something. Yes,
0: he's doing something called it's called Sleeping with Strangers. And what's interesting is I thought about various moderators and I ran it by David for who if he had any preferences or interviewers of him. And he said, How about my wife? And I was like, Really? You know, are we gonna get a good interview out of this? And then I thought, well, that would be kind of funny because the book is essentially about love and sex in the movies. So I was like, well, I guess it be an interesting interview. So she'll be doing the interview.
1: I want to get back to someone you mentioned before, the New York Times ethicist. You're paying for him. Yes. What prompted you to bring him out here?
0: Because there are a lot of sessions at the festival this year that explore issues of identity. We have one on native identity. We have a lot of um, just looking at different identity categories, the issue of representation, which is a, a big and important concern in the publishing world right now. And I wanted to bring the discussion a little bit wider and look at someone who was writing about identity as a an area of discussion and debate itself, rather than us just presenting the topic, like, let's now look about the topic and talk about it.
1: You said that Joyce Carol Oates has a new book.
0: Mm-hmm. Fabulous novel. I'm in the middle of reading it right now. I'm almost at the end. And all I want to do, I listen to books. I actually listen to books online or on, a, you know, on Audible or on Libro. Um, you know, I'm a subscriber to everything. And all I want to do is listen to this book and just finish this book. What's the subject matter? It's, it's, called, it's called The Hazards of Time Travel and it's about a woman who in this super authoritarian high surveillance society dares to err by asking questions as part of a high school valedictorian speech and she is punished by being brought back to a late 1950s society where she has to be completely incognito and she's trapped there and she ends up discovering the power of political protest when she's there. It's just fascinating. It's a very heavily socially commentary kind
1: of book. It's great. A couple of other interesting panels, one on Native writers. Yes. And we also have something on the Browns of California. Yes. How did that one come together?
0: Yeah, so it's an important book. It's by Miriam Powell. And She proposed a conversation that would include a couple of members of the Brown family. So we have Kathleen Brown and uh, Joseph Kelly, her husband, and they will be talking about the phenomenon of the Browns of California, Pat and Jerry and and the kind of extended family.
1: And the the festival ends on Sunday night with a documentary about Robert Shear. Yes. So talk a little about that.
0: Yeah. So that just got added because I happened to see a screening of the film and um, I've known Robert Shear for decades at this point, And it's a great documentary. And I thought, wow, you know, if there's a way we can put it in the festival, so the filmmakers agreed to do it. And the festival was already pretty booked, and we had a closing keynote already on uh, Sunday at 5, but I thought, well, we might still have the freight and salvage for the evening after that, so decided to add it. I mean, Bob was such a force, you know, in Berkeley and in journalism in general— And interestingly, his wife, Narda Zucchino, founded the LA Times Book Festival when she was at the Times a long time ago. So she's a bit of a godmother to our festival. So it seemed appropriate to honor Bob in this one
1: and the keynote is survival in solitary. This
0: keynote is going to be incredible. This guy, Albert Woodfox, was one of the Angola 3 prisoners in Louisiana. He was in solitary confinement for 43 years for a crime he didn't commit. And when he got out, other than just simply surviving and making his way, he wrote a memoir and it blew me away. He decided to educate himself when he was in solitary, to not get bitter, to not let it consume him, and he created purpose for himself, and he's an amazing, optimistic human being, which is pretty extraordinary. He really talks about what it is to be human, what it is to define your own destiny, despite difficult circumstances.
1: And that's Sunday afternoon. That's Sunday
0: at 5 o'clock at the Freight and Salvage.
1: And then the other one at 7 is the Freight and Salvage. The, the
0: one, the, right. And after that is Bob Shear at uh, 7 o'clock at the Freight. There will be the screening of the film, and then there'll be a panel afterwards that Bob will be on.
1: And on Saturday... Is that also at the Freight at 730, Robert Reich?
0: That is at the Berkeley Community Theater, which is a huge theater. And that one is with Bob Reich, yes, and a man named Anand. It's a long last name, Geary Doradas. He's an Indian writer, a public intellectual, has an incredible book called Winners Take All. And he looks at the hypocrisies of the uber-wealthy who claim to be changing the world while they continue to protect their privileged tax status and so on. So, you know, where they're creating initiatives to save the schools and things, you know, meanwhile they're decimating public support for schools through their financial strategies um, and so on. It's a fabulous book.
1: Sherilyn Parsons, I've tried to hit on some of the things that interest me, but there might be a couple of panels or. Guests that I overlooked. So, what are a couple of ones that you're looking forward to, mm-hmm. that you plan to attend, or or even that you help mm-hmm. create?
0: Uh huh. Okay. One of them, which is personally close to my heart because I'm going to be interviewing the author, is a guy named Elliot Patterson. He is a mysteries writer who wrote a, a series set in Tibet. And I personally have been involved in the human rights struggle in Tibet for many years. And this mystery series has just gotten rave reviews in the publishing world. He also won T- Tibet's the, the ex- exiled Tibet community's highest literary award or arts award called the Art of Freedom Award. And he's really quite an activist on the literary front. So I'm going to be interviewing him. And I hope the big Tibetan community here comes out
1: for it. And when is that?
0: That is, when is that? I think it's Sunday
1: afternoon. And Dennis Bernstein of KPFA is hosting a panel?
0: Yes, yes, uh, on fascism on the the rise of fascism. And one of the writers on that session, they're all interesting writers, of course, but one of them really caught our eye early on in the festival planning process, Arjun Sethi, who wrote a book about hate crime survivors. And it's really a collection of oral histories about people who had experienced such things.
1: Were there any panels that you had to kind of put aside simply because you didn't have a venue?
0: The festival. Ended up being bigger than we intended because there were so many books that we had to fit that we really wanted to include. There was a lot more we wanted to include. We wanted to do something on gentrification this year, which we've done in the past, but we just ran out of space. And since we'd done it in the past, we decided to skip it this year, but we'll probably cover that topic next year.
1: Was there any thought given to expanding it to either to Friday or Monday?
0: Yes, We are thinking about expanding it to the entire week before the festival weekend and doing events in the evenings.
1: Oh, I did want to ask you about one other writer. Who is Catherine Ryan Howard?
0: She's an Irish writer, Irish crime writer. And we get support every year from an organization called Culture Ireland. In Ireland, they... they, send their writers around the world to festivals. And as we looked at the array of Irish writers we might publish, she really stood out
1: the publisher bringing her over or you
0: We're we're bringing them over with, her over with funds from Culture
1: Ireland They pay
0: Yeah, they pay they cover airfare and hotel
1: There's going to be an Irish panel then
0: Yes, yes, we always have an Irish panel which is really popular
1: And the Nordic panel
0: And the Nordic panel and this year we also have a German panel which includes a Swiss writer We have a big program this year focusing on Germany uh, it, we it's it, there's a program called Wonderbar Together, and it's put out by the German government that takes place all over the world and it celebrates German American friendship and we have several German writers coming to the festival this year.
1: and there's also a graphic novel.
0: yes, yeah, we <laughs> always have a session on graphic novels, so there's there is a lot
1: so you you mentioned one that you want to do next year. anything else in the in the planning stages for next year, you think?
0: There's some writers who we invite this year who can't make the dates, but they want to come. And so they say, please invite us next year. There's a uh, well-known Japanese mysteries writer, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but he wants to come, couldn't make the dates. So we hope to bring him next year. There's an Irish writer named Nick Laird who wants to come. So we'll likely feature him next year. But in terms of In terms of topics, not yet. We're just focusing on the the current festival.
1: Well, I'm curious about something. Do you ever think about bringing in somebody who needs a translator?
0: Yes. We generally don't do that if the person is on a panel because it takes up a lot of time to do the translation from the other writers, so it's not quite fair. But if it's a prominent enough writer we would do an interview with that person and we would consider a translator. We really, really believe in the power of translated literature and the importance of it. We have a session this year on translation, but it goes beyond just literary translation. It looks at the role of translation, everything from like translating at the border, you know, for instance. So some of these translators do a lot more than just translate books. They're very involved in social movements that involve
1: translation. Sherilyn Parsons, This festival is May 4th through 5th, and you said there's another festival that's year-round?
0: It's not a festival, but we have a series called Women Lit, and this started because I needed to raise money to bring more female writers to the festival, but in appreciation for the women who supported this, I started to put together year-round events featuring female writers. And it took off amazingly. There is tremendous demand for this. We just had Gloria Steinem at the Castro Theater in San Francisco in late February. And it was a sold-out house, incredibly popular. We have Eve Ensler coming up in mid-June and Jennifer Weiner coming up in late June. And I've got a whole lot of other pitches out there for other female writers coming through the summer
1: and fall. People can find out about those through what website?
0: It's an aspect of our site, but you can also get there through womenlit.org.
1: Finally, Sherrilyn Parsons, do we have a date for next year? Yes, we do.
0: It's May 2nd and 3rd, 2020, 2020.
1: The Bay Area Book Festival is May 4th through 5th in Berkeley, over 100 different panel discussions and interviews are happening. There's a film there. There's a lot of material. One can spend an entire day. And they can get food probably in the downtown park?
0: Right. We have a terrific food court this year. Um, It is anchored by La Cocina, which is a collective of female food entrepreneurs, many of them immigrant women. And we've got great interesting food. They all also have stories. So they'll be there. We have three lounges this year. A. Libris is doing one. The German... Pavilion is one. Um, Beneficial State Bank, they're sponsoring the talk with Robert Reich and Anand Giridharadas. Kat Taylor is doing that interview, and they're also sponsoring a lounge. And we have REI, which is providing hammocks. So it's going to be a great way to hang out on the lawn on a Saturday and Sunday afternoon in downtown Berkeley between your literary sessions.
1: And the website to go to?
0: www.baybookfest.org.
1: Feedback on this and other Radio Walensky podcasts is appreciated. You can write to bookwaves at hotmail.com. You can listen to other interviews, either as Radio Walensky podcasts or in the archives pages of bookwaves.com. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky podcast.